Welcome to What's Up, Wellness from the Third Floor. This podcast is provided by the Wellness and Health Action Team, also known as WHAT, from Portland State University's Center for Student Health and Counseling, or SHAC. We're located in the old tutoring center suite on the third floor of the University Center building on campus. Our purpose with this podcast is to discuss a variety of health-related topics in a way that will be accessible for our non-traditional campus. My name is Grace, and my pronouns are she, her. And my name is Julie, and my pronouns are she, her. We're all members of the Wellness and Health Action Team, and we'll be the hosts for this podcast, so let's get into it. Hello, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Grace. How are you doing today? Good morning, Julie. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great as well. I'm really excited for today's episode, although I feel like I say that every time, but I'm very excited today because we have Amy. Amy, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Good morning. Um, I'm Amy Collins. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the coordinator for Illuminate, which is the violence prevention program and part of health promotion. Mm -hmm. Would you like to talk a little bit about your background and... Yeah, all that jazz. Yeah, sure, totally. Um, So I've been with Portland State for, I think this is my seventh year. Um, Started the Illuminate program and that was really guided by student input, campus input, all of that. And I can talk more about Illuminate um, in a minute if you want, but my personal background is um, I've been doing health promotion, social justice work for 24 years. I started by um, coordinating and running a youth crisis line that was a statewide youth crisis line for what through an organization that's now called Lions for Life. Back then it was Oregon Partnership. And then I started working at a at sexual assault resource center, which is uh, one of the two standalone sexual assault um, centers that does advocacy and response. And then we did prevention and I was their prevention coordinator. And then I came here to Portland State. So that's sort of my formal background. I do some consulting on the side. I really like program development, like when people are trying to develop new prevention programs or education programs um, to help people figure out how the best approach for for starting something new so that it's not a top-down approach, but it's with people for people. Um, and one of those pieces is what helped create Illuminate. And it's what I adjunct usually in the spring for UNST for a senior capstone. And it's a process called a, a collaborative visualization. And it's sort of a qualitative approach to understanding challenges around any given idea. And then also at the same time, capturing the solutions and the ideas for how to start to program build or or correct some of the things that are causing harm within a community. Um, And so that sort of rounds out most of my professional background. Um, I'm a mother of three. I like to bike, cook and read. Um, And yeah, that's it. I like to read a lot. So Perfect. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you for being on here as well. We appreciate you and we're really excited to have today's conversation. Um, So speaking about today's conversation, we are going to talk about health. Since Grace, Amy and I are all in the health uh, promotion department, we wanted to kind of complicate the term health and how we've interpreted in the past centuries, decades, I don't know how long the word has existed and how we define it as um, 
ourselves, you know, on the individual level and what we would like to see the term health um, be like or interpreted in the future. And so, uh, Grace, you want to get us started on that? Uh, yeah. So the first question we have is um, just to open up discussion is uh, what is health and how are you currently defining it and how has it changed throughout your time with being in health promotion? So if you want to start us off, Amy. Yeah. First of all, thank you for having me. And I really appreciate the conversations that we have internally. And I'm happy that we're having this conversation on the podcast forum because I think it's it's nice when internal disciplines share the complications with their discipline further out. Cause I think a lot of times we just want to share the accolades and the good stuff. And while that's wonderful, I don't find that's where a lot of my learning comes from. So I appreciate this. Um, so the question being sort of my trajectory of understanding the word health and where I'm at right now. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So I don't, I don't think I've ever complicated the word health as the way I have in this last year or two. Um, That comes from my own place of privilege, my own access to fitting, I think, the normative of the protection around what health is normally fit, which is and still does like white, cis, straight, conventionally thin, athletic, like there's so many categories, able-bodied. I'm not neurodivergent. I don't have like mental health struggles other than like, I think the normal, everybody's got some mental health struggles, but I don't have, you know, I've never sought um, more intensive mental health supports. There's so many categories of privilege that I embody or I have around the world of health that I have failed to interrogate the very fundamental meaning of that word. And I've worked in public health, I mean, really expressly since being at PSU, I think it's the first time that public health really sort of became a part of my professional identity. Prior to that, I think it was sort of tangential and more social justice and all of that, but it was still in the mix and completely uninterrogated and I didn't complicate it. Um, So, there's been a few things that have happened in the last couple of years that have shifted that for me. One, I had my own physical health struggles. I had a physical health catastrophe created by the medical community that altered my disability status. Um, So that sort of brought something into view that wasn't there before. And then in some of my podcast listening, I started to hear on Gender Reveal, um, Tuck Woodstock, they talk about their own, like having written about health before, wanting to shake it up in the, in the system. And I definitely have fallen into that idea of like, once I'm in health promotion, I can shake things up and make changes. And they just really helped me see that that's really fraught. And they were interviewing um, somebody, Deshaun Harrison, And the conversation they were having was really about, can we resurrect a discipline that was never meant for everyone, that was always exclusionary by design? And that is where I'm sitting right now. That's, I am like, can we, what do we want to do with that? 
does everybody else in health promotion have that same sort of complicated relationship? Could we start this conversation? And if we end on this place of like health promotion was meant for the protection of really white, healthy, quote unquote, like, I mean, I don't even know what that word means. So white, like middle to upper class people that fit standards of beauty that have really nothing to do with monikers of like being, um, I don't want to use the word healthy, but being healthy, right? Like it's fat phobic and it's racist and all of those things that come along with the term health. When we look at it positionally in our society, do we want to resur- do we want to keep that word? And if not, what department are we? And uh, uh, that's where I'm at right now. I totally, I resonate with that so much. I have such a hard time defining what health is. Like I'm always like, I'm in public health and it like is great. But then it's like, when you really start digging into it, like what is health? And like what you were saying, Amy, where this image of health is just like a certain body type and a certain person. It's just like, I'm envisioning it right now. Like the Activia yogurt commercials with like the white women jogging in suburbia. Like that's what people think of when they think of health. And um, it's not a holistic or even attainable measure of health necessarily either because your health is there's it's so multifaceted that there's no way that there's one one um box to put health in but I think people think that that's what it is so yeah it's just interesting to kind of break it down because when you start breaking it down you don't even know what it means anymore like I don't (laughs) well it's it's really true to define that term is I think a great place to start. Can we even define it? Does it have meaning? But I think for me, the bigger question is that have meaning within like a racial equity lens. Can we define it while also having it be just and fair and inclusive where it allows all people to participate and prosper? Because as it has been, the answer to that is uh, no, not for me. I can't define it. Once I, once I allowed that lens and a full disclosure nod, two out of my three um, student employees went through our health promotion fall onboarding, and both of them are BIPOC folks and had a really important critique of our onboarding. And they just said it lacks a racial justice lens. And therefore I couldn't even see myself in your training and I work in this department. And oh, it was real and that is right. And that is important. And that was, I failed to mention that at the beginning of like another place where this notion has gotten complicated and rightfully so in the last two years for me. And we're looking to completely not resurrect what we did last year. Last year's training is like sunset, goodbye. We're going to build a new, but now the foundation for me feels shaky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, to emulate what both of you all were stating is that I feel like as of right now, we're kind of having this conservative approach in the health field and everything seems so static and that we are allowing all these perpetuation of like racism, discrimination and standardization in health when we need to 
acknowledge the fact that our society has evolved and the term health has evolved and there's no standardizing, I don't know, some kind of health, I would say. But um, I feel like that's why we've been stuck in this because because I don't know when we had this conversation, like before recording this episode, we were talking about how there's, of course, the individual level and the community and institution. And it's really complicated. And we think of the different levels and where we should start to define it. Um, and so speaking of different levels, what do y'all think about it when it comes to changes? Do you think we should focus on a certain level first, should make small changes in the different levels of society or what are y'all input on that? Like meaning the social ecological model, like individuals, family and friends, Mm -hmm. communities, society, and then the larger sort of like political sphere and policy realm. Yeah. Yeah. Because for me, right. I'm in school right now and of course I'm learning and I feel like oh my God, other things I'm learning are not applicable to modern day society and everything is just so conservative and very static. And so I'm just Is like, it not com- applicable or does it need to have something else layered on top of it, right? Like I think the social ecological model is a really valuable model of looking at changing systems while not dismissing the role of like individuals and then their peer and family group and how impactful that is. And so if you just look to change behavior and isolate an individual, we're not going to do anything, right? We have to talk to families and communities and there has to be some sort of consensus movement to get like a, a, a norms, some traction around social norming. But if you, so that's just a model for making systemic and individual change, right? What's the model? What are we layering on top of that to define health, right? We can't drag and drop what's currently here. And that's where I'm like, let's keep complicating this conversation. Is health a word that health promotion wants to retain? Or is there something different or better? And if we want to retain it, then what is what are we layering on top to, to redefine the word health? And so what comes to mind for me are ways that we would like look at systemically changing and getting rid of the BMI, right? Which is really based on white European men and was adopted first in, in, in life um, insurance agencies for the elite classes to have lower premiums to protect their family wealth if they died. And then the very last place to get it adopted was within the medical community. And it, and it wasn't, diverse at all, right? It was just like white European men. And the place that it was even created was never meant to be health. It was actually like a social look at like, um, it was like some scientists looking at normatives. It wasn't a health guy. So that's one thing that I would say, like, if we're defining health, we have to look at like Mm anti-fatness. We have to look at anti-blackness and racism that is like, tightly interwoven with anti-fatness and just white like um white privilege being protected and defining health we have to look at a lot of the studies that are done and who people tend to study people they have access to and if we're looking at that then we have to start to look at action like access to education 
there's a new standard of care. Um, version eight is like brand new. The last time they did that was in 2012. And so they have this new one that just came out in 2022. And that is basically looking at transgender healthcare um, and is a guideline for the standards of care within the medical community. So if we're gonna redefine health, I like the social ecological model for the rollout. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I still think we have a problem with defining the term health. Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. And it's just like, I remember you telling me this, Amy, and I keep thinking about it for some reason, where it's just like, we think of it like as of an equation, you know, and who's getting left out and who's benefiting from the existing principles. And it's just like, if we're going to keep continuing that, like, I don't know, there won't be equity <laughs> for people. And it's just like, and it starts from us how we defined health. And from my personal experience, I'm a pre-med student. And so mm-hmm. I'm really hoping to aspire a career in the medical field. And when you were saying how folks from the medical field adopting the term BMI, it's just like, and the fact that it's still being used in Widely. like- Yeah, widely. And I think it's just a way to label individuals and kind of exclude them out from the appropriate proper care that they deserve. Okay. There's also a podcast out there for folks if they (laughs) want to like really dig into some of the weight, like garbage information out there, especially with the um, BMI is called maintenance phase. And there's especially one just about like, quote unquote, the obesity epidemic, the body mass index. And they just really, really go hard in the paint in a really important way around the falsity of the idea that obesity has deleterious health outcomes. And in fact, there's some studies that show that people who quote unquote, and using the term obesity really comes from the BMI index, right? So that word is fraught, but I'm going to use it because it's the shared language of our, of our culture right now, but want to recognize like if we did away with the BMI and we did away with the way that we talked about bodies, we probably wouldn't have the word obesity in our vernacular that we used, but they, they totally pull apart. Like the research just isn't there. And in fact, there are some people who have more weight on their bodies when they're older that live longer. So, but we, because we have indoctrinated the idea of health being like, a, like uh, connected to a BMI and a scale that's like international in some ways, right? We don't, we don't want to change that up. And that's a problem in, in healthcare. And I think it's a problem in health promotion is that we can get static because I think it feels like we're not, God, there's so many different directions I want to go with this. As somebody who graduated on my undergrad was like 20 plus years ago in sociology. And I remember some of my professors saying, like, if people say you're in the soft sciences, correct that, right? Because that's a loaded language that's dismissive of the fact that like health promotion, sociology, psychology, all of those are not soft sciences, right? We, they're, they're well-researched, they're well-understood. What they didn't talk about would be like whatever that acronym for weird, what is the, what's the acronym mean? Um, uh, Western industrialized, I'll have to look it up, but like it, it, they didn't complicate it further than just say like, it's not, it's not soft science, right? Um, so what I, full circle, I think that 
health promotion sometimes has a problem with critiquing itself because society already critiques it as sort of a quote unquote soft science. And so then when you say, whoa, we've maybe been approaching this wrong or we got new information and now we're going to update it. That's challenging when you already feel on your heels to protect your line of work. That was really good. <laughs> and, and yeah, I couldn't agree more to that. Um, yeah, no, I personally do agree with that. And it's just like what you said, kind of like society has kind of set like and define it already, which makes it hard for people to kind of like want to initiate change or change it because everything is so like all settled and all. Um, but yeah, so speaking of kind of the existing issue with the term health and how we'd want to complicate it. Um, and this, this question is for you both if you want to answer. Um, what does it look like to challenge the existing doctrine, you know? And it's a very big, big question um, that may seem intangible sometimes, but like as individual and just on the personal level, how do we think we can challenge it and kind of hoping change how we define health in the future. I can start, but Grace, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And just to double back on my inability to think of what the acronym WEIRD research stands for, it stands for Western Educated Industrialized Rich and Democratic. So to use that as a, a part of my answer, Julie, is to look at what sources we use to inform the practices, I think is really important. Who's left out of studies and how does that center only a very small subsect of our population? How are we centering the margins in all of the work that we do? Um, that being said, part of me just, I'm in this place where I'm like, let's just burn the whole thing down and start again. <laughs> <laughs> but knowing that that's much more challenging and less realistic in some people's minds, language really, really matters. I'll give you an example of social change that I've seen in my lifetime in the world of health promotion, and it comes from consent. And I use this example a lot. So if anybody's ever taken a consent workshop from me or any talk to me about social change, they probably heard me say this. But I think it's a great illustration of iterative versions making themselves obsolete because the narrative, the conversations have gotten more complicated and change. And I think health promotion might be in a time where we are ready for a new iterative update. So it used to be um, in the world of consent, it was like, no means no. And then it got shifted a few years later or whatever to yes means yes. Then it went to consent is sexy. And then it was like, consent is mandatory, right? Those are wonderful illustrations of each of them putting themselves out of favor because it's like, well, that's not good enough. And what's beautiful in that moment is not that there is, we're not contradicting ourselves in a negative sort of contradictory way. I personally think, think contradiction is one of the most beautiful gifts we can experience. It tells us where we have a growth edge right? So when we get to this place of like, I've been in health promotion, I haven't interrogated health, I'm feeling like I'm I have a contradiction in my life of the work I do and the way that I want to move through the world. I have options in that moment. And for me in this moment, the options are, I need more information. I'm, I feel like a baby to the not understanding. And I am 
ingesting as much information and engaging as many conversations as I possibly can. And also I would say we need more diverse across the board, like size, race, like it's so many places to move through the walls of health promotion to help answer that question, but also who wants to come work in a place that historically hasn't acknowledged your existence? So I don't, I would love to hear Grace's thoughts while I continue to gather mine. That's sort of like my thoughts on the top of my head to that question of like where we start. Language matters a lot Mm -hmm. right now in this moment for me, but Mm -hmm. so does action. And I'm just like feeling a little overwhelmed with what to do first or how. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. It is. It's hard to like, there's no set answer. Um, and I totally agree with you, Amy, on the fact that I also feel just like, feel like I'm just kind of floundering right now. And it's not, I mean, I'm only in my undergrad, so there's only so much I can do right now. But I think also just opening up these conversations is uh, essential. But that's just the first step. It's not like we can have these conversations and sit around and talk about how we need to diversify health and how we need to like add all these things and all these people into health. But unless that's put into action, then it's just like talking. And I feel like it's self-serving talk as well in a way. It's just like, oh, like I am just, I want to diversify the work, this health field, because that's what we should do. But then when like people of marginalized communities are um, people who have historically not been listened to in health, what makes them want to come in? And like, exactly. Like, um, I think another thing that I've also grappled with a lot this year, um, with my academics and my like studies in public health is, um, stopping assumptions about people based on race, class, gender status, socioeconomic status. Like there's, it's so easy in public health to talk about the social determinants of health and then automatically tie in someone's race or their class into their health um, and like, or make assumptions based off of it. And there is like value in that as well. But I think part of like a forward thinking public health model would be not taking assumptions from communities and like rather than taking assumptions and being like, this is what you need because I studied public health and I know, but like to step back and like listen to the communities of what they need and like things like that is major. So I have a question as a follow-up to that for yeah. both of you, if I can ask the question. Totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, go ahead. Listen, I'm taking over. Um, what does accountability within health promotion look like? Cause I feel like until mm-hmm. you have a reckoning and you can take accountability for the harm that has been caused, yeah. it's incredibly challenging, if not impossible and probably very derelict to in, say, we're ready now. We now see the errors of our way, kind of, but now come teach us what we don't know. And I'm interested in that. I'm still in a phase of like having a reckoning and an Mm -hmm. understanding because I'm in a place like in the accountability process with myself of like self-reflection. And I know that I have an amends to make. I will get there, Mm -hmm. right? But I don't even know what that amends fully looks like because I don't fully understand the impact of some of my work in health promotion and having not appreciated um, how fraught the discipline was in the way that I just sort of hook, line, and sinker accepted some of that. I've been a shake 
I shake shit up in the world of prevention and sexual violence prevention, but that's one small subset, right? And I haven't done that always super well or, or perfect by any means, there's no such thing. Um, but I think I've done that with a broader awareness than health promotion is sort of the umbrella work. So what's accountability look like within disciplines to the communities that they have failed? Mm-hmm. Um, Grace, do you want to answer this first or do you want me to answer first? I'm interested in hearing what you have to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, first and foremost, thank you, Amy, for the question. Second of all, I definitely think that we should hold full accountability as folks working in the health promotion field. As of for me, I how accountability looks like to me, it looks like I guess I'm just going to bounce off of your idea, Amy, kind of like changing the language Um, and what Grace was saying, how we need to stop generalizing. I feel like generalizing have been, has been an issue for health promotion because like what you said, we need to expand our language when we're conducting studies, because for example, when they're comparing health outcomes, right? I'm very like health focused, like physical health. Um, they're like, I hate the term BIPOC because that literally is generalizing people who are not white. Um, And so I hate that phrase a lot. And so, um, but I'm just going to use it for the sake of this conversation. But when people are like, oh, BIPOC individuals are most likely, or they're at higher risk at certain diseases like cardiovascular diseases, obesity, just because they're BIPOC, you know, but that's not true because in that community, there are differences, you know, black Hispanic individuals are at higher risk comparing to Asian American individuals. And so when you're generalizing as a whole, you're just like, oh yeah, they all need this, but that's not true because some folks and some communities need it more and they need it differently than others. And so I feel like as health promotion, we're really focused on like, oh, non-white communities and all that, but we're not like looking, investigating, looking, digging deeper in these causes. And that's the reason, you know, when we're not digging into the cracks, we don't know it's there. Like when we're looking far, we're like, oh, it's just a small crack, but we don't know how deep it is unless we look into it. And I feel like we're not doing that as health promotion. Um, And I feel like health promotion is part of it. Like, yeah, I talked about like health and all, but as people and as individuals in health promotion, I feel like we can really shed light on that issue. Um, and be a role model for other disciplines. In the I, I totally appreciate that. The, the like, not a, this putting out there very bluntly that there are no groups of people that are monoliths. We can't talk mm-hmm. about people monolithically. And even like your stats are great and they're, they complicate it beyond just a blanket word of BIPOC, which I used earlier. And I appreciate you being like, I hate that term. <laughs> yeah, I, not to call you out. <laughs> I not use to call you out. I take feedback and learn to grow. Like, okay, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, because even taking the stats that you have, it's like, okay, but what groups of those folks, how do we, you know, Kimberly Crenshaw this shit and say, let's look at the intersecting identities on top of those stats. What is the poverty level for those folks? What is their mental health status? Are some of them veterans? Like, There's so many different identities that then intersect with race or ethnicity 
that very, very quickly will change quote unquote health outcomes for any one individual. And so I really, really appreciate that as part of the movement forward is moving away. You both answered that beautifully as a starting place of accountability. Um, I wonder what repair starts to look like. You know, I really, I think like a lot of people, we've seen a lot of the, the terrible outcomes of COVID on communities of color and particularly like black communities of color um, and wanting people to get the vaccine and the white medical health community not recognizing that they should have been caring about the lack of medical access by black individuals because of historical predatory health behaviors on black communities. We sh the white health establishment should have cared about their well-being and their access to healthcare before white communities needed higher vaccination rates. So it feels like just an iterative version of predatory behavior to be like, hey, we need you now. So now we're going to talk to you. Um, I, I just wonder what the reckoning looks like sometimes. I wonder, because I don't know how to move forward without saying like, we need to make an amends. Um. No, yeah, that's good. And Grace, sorry, you never put your input on the other question. Oh, no, I, I'm like, I'm just, I really liked what you had to say, Julie. And um, it also kind of made me think of what I was talking about earlier about just making assumptions based on health, based on like class status and stuff like that, because someone's class status dramatically affects their health as well as like other identities, um, but they all intersect. And so to think that um, BIPOC people as a monolith, like that sort of thing is not helping health at all because there could be um, like a black woman who lives in, I don't know, an impoverished community. And she's going to have way different health than a black woman who's living in the suburbs of an, like a quote unquote, like nicer area. And um, so that sort of thing is just really interesting to me because people will be like, oh, okay, well, um, since they're both black women, they're going to have these health outcomes and like stuff like those assumptions. So um, I just appreciate how passionate your answer was, Julie. It was amazing. It's good. Thank you. Um, thank you, Grace. And yeah, those are all very good inputs on that. And going back, circling back to Amy's question, I think that's also a good question we would like to ask our audience because I know time is almost up for this. But um, our listeners, if you're listening to this, we are going to put a form in the description. And one question we'd like you all to answer is that how do you define health? Um, or how would you want it to be defined later on? And what are some steps that we can make or we can take to kind of make amends and kind of be held accountable for all the things that have happened? And so we talked a lot in this podcast on how we would like to see and how we define health, but we're also very interested in your thoughts and your opinions towards such topic. Um, but yeah, like I mentioned, we're almost out of time. Um, any last words we got, Amy or Grace, on this? No? 
I don't. I just want to say thank you for having me and having this conversation. I feel like I've, you know, have more to chew on. Yeah. <laughs> Always, but it's been no. nice. I, I appreciate it. No, we're really appreciative that you're on here. I we can literally talk about this for hours, or I can yeah. talk to you. <laughs> Julie and I, every time we interview someone who's within health promotion or like any sort of health adjacent, we're like, we could talk about this for hours because everything (laughs) leads to one thing. And it's like, you talk about this and then it leads to that. And then it leads to that. Like there's just, it it never ends. So I really appreciate you coming on and um, taking on some very large questions, Amy. So it's good to talk with you. As you all continue to find answers, please bring me into the fray. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, we definitely totally. will. Um, yeah, but that's all for today's episode. Mm-hmm. Once again, thank you so much, Amy, for yeah, taking the time you, and chatting with us. It was very enlightening. I learned a lot and um, I'll take this with me post-podcast recording. <laughs> I can't wait to see what people's responses are too. It'll be nice. Yeah, to me too. I'm very yeah. excited. But yeah, I hope all y'all enjoyed today's episode. Yeah. Thank you, Grace. Thank you, Thank Amy. You. I will see you both later. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the What's Up podcast. We'll catch up with you next week. We at Shack are fully committed to the physical and emotional health and wellness of PSU students. Please call ahead to use our health services for flu shots, free COVID testing, or general appointments at 503-725-2800. Counseling services are still available via telehealth, and you can schedule your appointments by calling that same number at 503-725-2800. If you're looking for more health and wellness resources, you can check out our online health magazine that gets sent to your pdx.edu email every Wednesday, or you can download the Campus Well app. Also, feel free to check out the virtual MindSpa experience to rest, relax, and rejuvenate wherever you have internet access. We will be including resources links in the episode description as well as a link to the episode transcript. If you have any questions about health, wellness, shack, or anything we discussed in this podcast, please fill out the Google form in the episode description. Thanks for listening and take care. We'll see you next week on What's Up, Wellness from the Third Floor.